Whiskey Bikini. Whiskey Bikini. Whiskey Bikini. Whiskey Bikini. Welcome to the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> Hello, and uh, yeah, welcome to the latest edition of the Whiskey Bikini Podcast, also known as the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. (laughs) Um, Yeah, as usual, we are uh, a semi-regular, I think it's fair to call it, podcast dealing with horror, horror films from the East and the West, uh, associated topics such as black magic, drinking, and, you know, all kinds of other good horror-related stuff. So do do check out our previous episodes, and please do subscribe and follow us for the coming episodes. So usually, as you know, I'm with my, my good friend and partner, Cub Chen, who's over in Hong Kong, although, again, at the moment, he's over in Taiwan working on our production stuff. Um, so you're just getting me for this episode, so <laughs> hopefully you're okay with that. But for this episode, I, I'm going to dive into, I don't know, I, I think one of the most uh, uh, interesting horrors of uh, certainly of late 2022 anyway. I mean, one of those things, like if you ask me to name like a top 10 of best horrors from 2022, I'm not sure I could do it because I watch about three films most days sometimes. Um sometimes more and so I can't actually remember everything I've watched so in any case the fact that this film uh, has stuck in my head enough to you know want to vent about it not vent uh, to talk about it um, shows that it's actually a pretty memorable film which is no bad thing anyway uh, the film in question is yeah it's uh, a wounded fawn and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give 100% spoilers uh, but I'm gonna delve into some pretty spoilery territory uh, during this chat, so I'm not going to give away everything, but it is, it's one of those films, you know, as the old saying goes, you're better off going in not knowing anything at all, to be honest. I mean, the long and the short of it is that it's uh, it's worth checking out. Um, <laughs> that probably means you don't need to listen to the rest of this, but, uh, but no, no, it's definitely worth checking out, so I would check it out before you listen to this, and then, you know, go away, watch it, come back, and, and listen to me again, um, which is not a bad idea. But yeah, it's the latest film from Travis Stevens. And I've, I've got to admit, I didn't... I've heard his name being thrown around uh, and everything, but it was it's one of those guys I couldn't... I couldn't actually remember what, he, what he'd done uh, when I sat down to watch it. So I saw his name uh, pop up. And uh, yeah, it, it, surprisingly for me, yeah, it's the guy, he, he'd done a lot of stuff, uh, which I have seen. Uh, you know, he produced The Amazing Cheap Thrills, which is a fantastic film. Uh, I love that, you know, the one with the two guys old friends who reunite after you know many years and you know have this tension between them and they're both desperate for money and they end up in this weird with this weird couple this game of one-upmanship where you just get money for doing increasingly nasty things uh great film uh but yeah he he, he just produced that but as a director he did uh, the girl on the third floor which has got that wrestling guy um cm punk in it but you know i not i don't follow the wrestling uh i did when i did when i was a kid and I was I was a big fan of the Million Dollar Man, <laughs> um, but that's that, that's probably a different uh, podcast episode. But yeah, the girl on the third floor is a pretty good one uh, about a guy who moves into this house and weird things start to happen, starts having these strange visions of things involving women, um, which kind of then relate back to some of his own behavioral problems, uh, shall we say? And there's all kinds of 
quite random sort of gooey stickiness and then gore in the film. So uh, it's an interesting one. But probably most importantly, uh, Stevens also did Jacob's Wife with, with Barbara Crampton, which uh, now Fessenden, which I, I thought was a very good film. Um, it's a very one of the few, I, I guess, quite interesting takes on the vampire genre. Because I'm not really a big, um, <laughs> not really a big vampire fan to be honest. But I thought this was one of the more <coughs> one of the more interesting takes on the vampire genre. Uh, which I've seen for a while, so that that's that was fairly recent as well. So and that's on Shutter, so I would check this out. Uh, and Wounded Fawn, uh, it was doing the festival circuit last year, and I'd I'd seen the the name of it coming up uh, here and there, and I don't really get to festivals much any, anymore, to be honest with you. Both kind of because I, I I live out in the middle of nowhere now, and I I, I don't know. I, I used to really enjoy going to like Fright Fest and a lot of other you know, events around, around London uh, and up in Glasgow as well. But now I, I find, you know, a lot of festivals, genre festivals, uh, and this is probably just me being jaded, but they, they seem to just be going a lot more for like a quantity over quality. Um, there isn't quite the same level of curation. and But I think a large part of that, to be fair, is not down to the events themselves. And it is just more the fact that uh, it's, Especially sort of during and post COVID, with the streaming services becoming even more popular, um, for genre films, uh, especially ones which aren't as likely to get cinema releases and to make money from theatrical releases, like uh, you, you know, they appearing, you know, on streaming services a lot quicker. Uh, and so when you get to these film festivals now, they don't you don't kind of have that same exclusivity. Uh, like you, if you go and see a film at a film festival, horror festival now, chances are it will be on. You know, we've got so many of these channels, whether it's Shudder, uh, Amazon, Netflix, anything. Chances are it'll be on somewhere pretty soon. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, but it's now on Shudder, uh, Wounded Fawn. So um, I've had the chance to check it out. And yeah, response has been pretty mixed for it. Um, and that's that's another one of these cliches to say someone's got a mixed response. It can mean a lot of different things. And a lot of time, to be honest, a mixed response just means kind of... Some people like it, some people don't like it, or uh, or it's just kind of eh, in the middle, uh, just because it averages a reaction. So, but in this case, I think it's a film uh, which will kind of divide people, uh, and I think there is a reason. There is a reason why some people might really find themselves getting turned off by this film, and I'll um, I'll get to that now as we as I dive into the film a bit more. But but the basic synopsis, uh, you know shamelessly called from Shudder, um, is like Meredith Tanning. Um, is played by Sarah Lind, who is also in Jacob's Wife. She's a, she's a museum curator, and she's had some bad experiences uh, relationship-wise, which we learn a bit more about during the film. But she's kind of getting back into dating. Um, and we find out she has actually met somebody, uh, and she's uh, seeing this guy who's, we know right from the start, is, a, is uh, there's something wrong with him. He's a killer. And... He, but he's quite charming, seems like a nice guy. He's called Bruce, and he's played by Josh Rubin, who is also in Scare Me and, and Werewolves Within. But she decides uh, just to go for it. Uh, and they, even though she doesn't really know him, uh, she agrees to go away for this right romantic getaway at his cabin, his house, which, of course, is in the woods, right, in completely in the middle of nowhere. And so we start to get this tension building between the two of them because we're not exactly sure what he's doing. Um Cat and mouse, as Shudder call it, but uh, you know, it, everything spills over into uh, into considerable amount of madness and uh, a little bit of murder as well. But yeah, it's 
it's one of those films I can tell you this and that's kind of the plot or the setup uh, uh, how everything sort of starts off and comes together but it doesn't really tell you anything too much about the film itself to be honest but I mean narratively it is uh, a two-hander in, in many ways uh, obviously it's mostly just two people uh, in the one location um, in this house of his in the woods but it's also very much a, a film of two halves which are really quite different to each other and don't don't necessarily massively connect to each other. Um, for the first half, it, the first half is very interesting and it's quite fun and well put together in a, in a reasonably conventional or traditional way. I mean, we do, as I've said, like, we do know this guy Bruce is, uh, whether he's a serial killer, just some kind of mad murderer or something, we do know that very much from the opening scene. And we also know that he's kind of into, <laughs> into art as well, which is quite heavily underlined. Um, but yeah, so after, you know, she meets, she's met him and they're going away in the car journey right from the start. Like we start to have this sort of dramatic irony, um, not so much as to whether she'll find out, but when she'll find out that he's a wrong uh, and also how he's going to react or you know what his plans are for her and whether or not this is, um, you know, all just part of his game as a, or his motif as a serial killer. And if he's just sort of luring her into his... Um, <laughs> to his web for with very bad intentions but well once they get out to the house then as well like he he gradually he gradually lets the mask slip i mean and it sort of goes in this spectrum of what you could call mm, toxic male behavior um to put it in the modern the current parlance and you, you know bits and pieces of being whether it's being controlling sort of snapping at her or saying things which are inconsistent with other things he said it, it does a pretty good job of sort of gradually sort of building this behavior uh as he becomes increasingly strange and increasingly threatening which of course as we say like we, we we've tied into well, what we actually know about him uh and what we know he's likely to be wanting to do so it's pretty good sort of dramatic irony uh it's a good tension building between the, the two of them and there's there's this odd chemistry between the two and even from this and knowing that she's you know both of them gradually both of them were, were learning more about uh the the problems that they've been facing uh the sort of inner turmoil in his case the inner madness but we're learning more about her as well and sort of what's driving her uh, to put herself uh, in a situation which, which is you know which is quite a dangerous one uh as it turns out to be and also how she reacts to that so we do gradually kind of learn more about them and i think uh, Stevens does a pretty good job of like playing around with this this idea of the final girl, and yeah, there's there's nothing new in this first half of the film, but I think the characters are are um, strong enough to to hold the interest and to keep it going to see where it's going, and uh, and also the acting is very good. Um, Sarah Lind is very good as Meredith, and she adds a lot of depth. She's not just like a sort of straightforward uh, damsel who's going to be in distress type. Um, it it actually builds up a lot more depth around her character which i thought was which i thought was interesting as as well she's not just a straightforward um the kind of female role we see in these films and uh and yeah josh Ribbon does he does as good a job with bruce as you could really do given that he's a, a man who kind of <laughs> who kind of jumps between the extremes of on the one hand being a uh, an interestingly dislikable uh, toxic male character and then he sort of goes to sort of wild wilder extremes shall we say of of behavior and of um you know what what we see 
uh, inside of him, what we see inside his mind, which comes out. So he has a more difficult job, um, I would say, but he does a pretty, pretty game performance, <laughs> given the material. But yeah, about halfway through the film, the film just flips and it goes off in a completely different, completely different direction. And yeah, it's at this point where, which I think it might start to lose, it might start to lose some people and. For, for reasons I think I, I can understand them. I mean, before this, all the way through the first half, as I say, the first half is pretty traditional sort of tension horror, uh, the two people situation, everything. Remind, actually, I should have said, it reminded me a little bit of Fresh, uh, which I thought was a much better film. Um, again, like two people in a cabin, uh, male-female relationships, shifting dynamics and power games. Uh, I thought Fresh was a better film th than this one. But yeah, the, the first half was good, but underscoring it all the way through the first half is a lot of chat about art <laughs> which may well have, have some of you heading for the hills and it, it did give me give me a bit of the bulk so to speak but uh, but yeah specifically there's a lot of chat about the furies and uh if you're not familiar with greek myth as i'm i'm i kind of know the basics but and i've heard of all this but um but the furies they're essentially like goddesses or spirits of vengeance, uh, female, also called the Euemides. And basically, they, they were the, supposed to be some like the daughters of Earth, and they sprang from the blood of the um, their mother, who was the, their mother of Earth. And, you know, they're also, they appear in lots of different plays, they appear in, appear in lots of different myths, and they're often figures who are uh, sort of hanging around the outsides of plays, uh, but being brought in to sort of deliver vengeance uh, or, or to you know, to you know, get against the, the sort of bad male characters uh, in some of these plays. So, so they're very much instruments of, if not directly vengeance and uh, of punishment, maybe punishment and judgment. So, um, but yeah, we, we get this right from the very start of the film. It's kind of thrown in our face, um, <laughs> underlined very clearly via the sculpture, which Bruce is after right from the start. You know, we start off at this art auction and, and he's, you know, we can tell gradually he's pretty obsessed with the sculpture. Uh, we know it's a very valuable one and uh, yeah it, it's a sculpture of the fury so you know you can see from early on this is a key part of the film and as we learn more about him as a killer uh the film starts to kind of blur into real life with the furies as these uh, these visions which are taunting him uh, possibly to punish him is it supernatural is it all in his mind so it can it, in the second half it really goes overboard with this it, it goes into this um it's surreal hallucinogenic direction and sense to be honest goes out the window and it, it's going into i mean to call it greek tragedy makes it sound like there's more of a plot to the second half than there actually is um it feels a bit more not so much like a stage play itself but more just like performance art uh, kind of in places with this um very heavily thrown in sort of you know throwback feel to the greek tragedies and, and to the story of these furies and how that might kind of relate to Bruce or why he thinks it might relate to him. I mean, it it does go somewhere in the end, right? And it, and it does actually has a fantastically nasty and very long, very drawn out final scene, which is, which is painful to watch, but also is a very much kind of open to interpretation as to, to the, to the why's why it's happening and what's going on. But I, I think the film is going to lose some people during the second half. Um, and it, and it's we, it's a brave thing to have this kind of complete shift in a film. This isn't like a sixth sense plot twist 
and then we go we go off in a way which makes us reinterpret other things in the film but we still essentially go on the same the same journey that this is the second half of this is pretty separate to be honest and especially since the first half is quite traditional but well done in this kind of like tension building serial killer you, you know cat and mouse type of game uh, whereas the second half they say is completely different and I think it's not so much the weirdness, and it is very weird, the second half. Some, some of the stuff is frankly baffling. Even if you go into it sort of forearmed, um, knowing something about the Furies and the Greek myths, then most of it doesn't make any sense. It's just this bizarre, wild you know, sort of avalanche of images and, and small segments and things happening involving Bruce. Um, and it gets pretty nasty, so there's enough to keep the attention, but it all feels pretty random the second half and I'm honestly I'm not actually as I said I'm not giving you the deep spoils I'm not telling you actually what happens and what it seems to be building towards and why but it's pretty random um the pacing goes crazy it's very variable pacing it's very start stop start stop in the second half and it's all it is pretty unfocused to be honest and, and I think it's that w which is more likely to lose people I you know I think a lot of people Unless you're you're going into this expecting something completely different, um, I think most horror fans have a pretty good tolerance for the the weird and the bizarre. But with this one, it, it's just yeah, it's just that it doesn't feel like it was very well woven together. Some some of the weirdness to it. I mean, it, you do get some very cool images, and some of the Grand Guignol moments are are impressive. But you kind of have to reach, even if you don't need to understand what's going on, you kind of have to reach at least to care about how you think it's going to come together and you know where the film's actually going to go because otherwise you've just got like another 40 minutes or so of watching pretty random stuff happening and, and uh, I don't know it's okay the, the second half I didn't mind it but I think some people will I think somebody will get annoyed by it and I think that's quite understandable yes I think the other thing which you could say about the the film as a whole is that um stevens has had through his, his career now that i <laughs> you know exactly who he is and which films are his he, he does have a bit of a weird approach to doing films about women um girl on the third floor as I, I i kind of mentioned does have issues due to its central character and its treatment of him i mean it's another one it's again it's kind of like toxic male behavior um self-delusion and you know kind of his attitude towards women isn't isn't great and some of the a lot of the things he does are pretty are, are pretty bad but um at the same time it it, it doesn't you know it, it, he's kind of still the main protagonist of the story and not necessarily in a ne that negative a light so um so that, that's kind of a bit of a strange one the girl with the, on the third floor and I mean, Jacob's Wife has been called a feminist vampire film, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's definitely dealing with female themes, um, but probably more from a male perspective, which I think is absolutely fine. I don't, I don't think there's any problem with that. I, I think it's interesting, especially within the the arena of horror, to see male, female, or you know, any kind of anyone uh, tackling male or female stories, gender politics from different angles and stuff. So. Um, and I think in the case of Travis Stevens, it's just he's, he seems to be kind of looking around, feeling around for for different angles. And they're, they're not always that obvious what he's trying to do or say with them. And I think that's definitely the case with The Wounded Fawn, um, which I'm really not sure about just because of the second half of the film, which is just which is overwhelming uh, once you see it. And as I've said, sense goes out the window. 
and it, it leans very hard into style over substance and it's 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 fury's theme but without really <laughs> without really saying why um i mean you could say it's leaning into feminist themes possibly uh just via the furies though uh, there's not really enough to ground that or to give it enough context so i mean i'd say certainly it, it's not what you could call offensively male feminism which you do get uh, in some films guy when you see a film made from a, an obviously male perspective by a male director and which is sort of claiming uh or putting itself out there as being a female perspective or feminist then and and it's not clearly we do see that quite a lot in the in the horror genre which blurs in with uh exploitation horror of a different kind but yeah so i, I don't think a wounded fond is that it's not male that offensively cheap male feminism but it's not really convincing either uh on that you know it doesn't have enough depth to to, to actually succeed in that level you could take it as a, a study of male toxicity if you like but just not as a very deep one and i i think once he as the second half progresses it really does become more about just sort of showing off with uh oddball visuals <laughs> But there, I mean, there is there is a lot to actually like about the film. I mean, as I've said, uh, performances are great, and you know he he does. Stevens is good at getting uh, sort of good performances from his cast. And uh, I'm gonna go back to Jacob's wife again. That's fantastic. Barbara Crampton's amazing in that film, and Larry Fessenden's good. And the relationship between the two of them and Jacob's wife is um, is amazing. And though it's a different, it's a very different dynamic uh, not a relationship you know between the two main characters in this one but um he gets not just good performances but as i've said there's this there's an odd chemistry or, or dynamic that's going on between the two of them uh and i think he you know that gives that gives the film like a couple of extra points uh, i think especially it, since it's just these, these two actors effectively there, there are a couple of other characters in it which i'm not gonna get into what, what their roles are because they're kind of uh, quite basic they're quite basic sort of plot chess pieces but um i think if the acting wasn't so good uh, if sarah lind and uh, just uh, rubin josh rubens weren't so good in this then the film would really fall flat so so they're both they're both very good and committed and i mean visually the film is nice as well uh, sort of shot on film uh and it's got this sort of scratchy grainy i, I think in some parts the scratchiness looks a bit fake but it gives it a nice atmosphere and it's it's very colorful and definitely touches of what uh thanks to you know guys like tarantino and bob zombie we we now just lump in as under the term grindhouse <laughs> though there's also a lot of giallo uh, it's very argento vibes in places uh, with some of the colors it gets very suspiria and inferno uh, more, more than just a nod of not of the hat i would say but that's nice it, it's a nice looking film in there and there's some nice gory set pieces here and there. Though it's definitely not a gore film, and you know, unfortunately, a couple of the the synopsis I, I actually read for the film made it sound like it was going to be more of a a gore film or a torture porn type film. And it's got a couple of very nasty film scenes rather, but they're very surreal and uh, pretty stupid. <laughs> a couple of them, to be honest. Uh, but that kind of ties in with the with the sort of overall hallucinogenic nature of what's actually happening in some of them. So they're quite over the top, but they're not sadistic or nasty in the sort of real world horror type way. And, you know, as I've said, like the last few minutes, or it's probably even longer, actually, the, the final scene goes on for a very, very long time. <laughs> it's an interesting artistic choice and painful to watch. So, um, yeah, even if actually, even if you get 
you know really turned off by the second half of the film you could always just skip through and, and see the very end because that's that's a, a quite powerful scene which does come as uh, quite a sort of punch in the stomach so um, but yeah overall it looks very good it's good it's got a timeless feel timeless quality to it because it's set in the present day but it's you see mobile phones and stuff but it looks very 1970s in a way and uh, partly I, I guess is the fact it does have a very theatrical feel and I mean the sets are, are believable like the house is believable but even the, the way the house is shot um, from, you know it's all especially inside so night and blackness outside and stuff so you, it sort of brings out the odd architecture some of the odd angles and you add in the weird costumes and the makeup in the second half which some of which is deliberately just strange looking it's not traditional horror makeup in that sense um, and with what happens in some of uh, the visions it, it's definitely it's definitely into the art house it, it's definitely dipping its toes in that end of the swimming pool and so probably the best way to describe the film is is a sort of a, a very odd sometimes not massively successful but generally entertaining mix of grindhouse and art house and that should probably you know tell you whether or not to to watch the film is and, and that in a nutshell is kind of why it'll divide folk um i'm pretty much in the middle on it myself to be honest i think there's some very interesting stuff going on in there and i can handle the second half though i i found some parts of it a bit art school or student theater cringe to be honest uh, not because i didn't understand them and i didn't i was pretty baffled by, by large chunks of the second half stuff that was just in there for for the sake of it um but on the plus side i think that also means it's a bit too daft to be pretentious um despite Stephen's best efforts because he do, he does ladle on the the pretentious style here it's not to the levels of like uh the cell or, or anything like that but um you know because the budget is considerably lower but uh i, I yeah I, I think i'd also would be giving him credit for doing something different um here it, it's certainly not a, a normal sort of traditional horror film in that respect and it does give you whether whether you you think it all works or not um is another question but um I, I think it's always interesting to see a horror director trying something a bit different so I mean, I guess the bottom line as well, it's not a massively long film and it's on Shudder. So if you've got Shudder, there's no reason not to check it out. Um, you know, you're not going to have to go out of your way to, to watch it at a cinema or film festival. So, so yeah, I'm pretty glad I, I, I checked it out again. I probably wouldn't wouldn't necessarily go back to it, but uh, now I will remember the name Travis Stevens. <laughs> I'll see. I'll check, out whatever he, I'll check out whatever he does next. And yeah, I'm, I'm giving the film a sort of very medium sort of medium middling recommendation uh i guess you could say in that case so so yeah but anyway that that's a, a wounded a wounded fawn and hopefully you've, you know hopefully <laughs> i've said enough there to to help you decide one way or the other on it and and yeah thanks for thanks for listening i and yeah please do check out the rest of our episodes and stay tuned for more whiskey bikini in the future thank you very much Whiskey bikini. 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 Whiskey bikini.